Hey everybody in Serial Killer Country, my name is Brittany Ranso. And my name is Brian Joyner. And this is When Killers Get Caught, a podcast devoted to deep dives into the lives and psyches of the killers we love to learn about. Each week, Brian and I find a true crime story that resonated with us. Then I discuss one well-known or lesser-known killer, go deep into their childhood, lives, methodology, and most importantly, how they got caught. And then we'll get a little spooky and we'll learn something about cryptids or the supernatural. I just want to say thank you to our new Patreon subscriber. We love you. Thanks for being here. <laughs> you can hear us discuss conspiracies at patreon.com when killers get caught for only $5 a month. That's a bonus podcast that goes up every week. Mm-hmm. We've also got merch at whenkillersgetcaught.com as well as shirts that go all the way up to 5X. And I did agree uh, with Brian that if we ever got 500 patrons, I'd let him take me to the Lizzie Borden house. And stay in the most haunted room. It'll be fun. So much fun. It'll be scary. (laughs) But even if you aren't a patron, we're very happy that you're here. Yes. And this week in true crime, I am still having fun in the Murdaugh rabbit hole. (laughs) The story is unfolding, if you will. Which is that exactly what Brian said last week is exactly what happened. Which is that Alex Murdaugh hired somebody to shoot him. And the man failed. He didn't. So it was for insurance purposes for his son. That's what I read or I heard about. That was the intention. Which means he would have had to die for his son to get the insurance payout. Instead, like who did you hire, brah? Your neighbor? Someone who liked you? This whole thing is still absolutely crazy. We talked about this last week, but if you didn't listen, powerful family, this boating incident that came from one of his sons, two mysterious killings, his wife and his younger son, drug addiction, stolen money from his own company, which was created by his family, like what, like 200 years ago? Then now we have a botched shooting for insurance fraud. <laughs> This is every true crime subject thrown in a pot and turned into a book. And if it wasn't actually happening right now, I wouldn't believe it was real. It says his his um his life insurance was ten million dollars. Right, so he had to die. Yeah. He was trying to set his son up since his son is the la- would be the last living relative if they were all dead, because the older brother's dead and mom's dead. And so he set it up so that he would get shot. But here's the problem. Like, unless you're hiring a proper assassin, they're going to find out who shot you and that person's going to (laughs) tell. I don't know if you remember, but on TikTok, I talked about this guy who uh, tried to have his wife killed and he hired these two random dudes and he paid them with gold bars. Oh, not that one, no. As soon as the police were like, so we saw you were at his house, they were like, oh, yeah, no, totally. He paid us to kill his wife. And I was just like, of course they're going to tell on you. They're not real killers. They were just some regular dudes. They failed. Because remember what happened was that they they walked into the lady's house Mm -hmm. and her friend was in there with her kid. And they were like, ah, we didn't plan for three people. (laughs) So then they... um, What happened next was that they panicked. They threw her in the car. And then, of course, the other people who were in the house called the police. Mm -hmm. And 
that caused a now they're fine they're doing good at this point until they get to a swamp okay well actually they got to a highway first Mm -hmm. and instead of just sitting in traffic like regular people who have a woman in their back seat like tied up they decide they're gonna (laughs) hop on the curb and jump jump around the traffic and off-duty police officer sees them they start a high-speed chase into a swamp they crash the truck and then they get out in the swamp and just start running and eventually they are found drowned (laughs) the wife's fine the husband's going to jail now that case it recently popped back up because they finally are going to sentence him Mm -hmm. but he was just like his whole plan was i love her so much she can't leave me if i have her kidnapped and pretended to kill her and i save her then she'll love me again oh my god what is with these horrible criminals that always works out have you seen love stories that start off like that absolutely yes my god (laughs) so yeah that's that's that situation oh my god i'm pretty sure that that story is just going to keep unfolding well that's i'm just saying is these older white guys wealthy Mm -hmm. completely out of touch with reality same as murdoch yeah yeah Uh, it was just funny. I was like, I fucking got it. I knew it. No, you were absolutely right. Because I was like, do we think that maybe he was involved in some mob stuff? No. And he got actually attacked? But you're right. No, they wouldn't have only grazed him. And then my thought process is, right, you're set. You're you're being paid to shoot a man. Mm-hmm. And you miss. You only like nick his head. Why wouldn't you just shoot again? I'm not sure. I'm being paid to ice him. And maybe he, I don't know, because maybe he changed his mind and then he, like, you know, he first got shot and then he's like, wait, wait, wait a second. <laughs> I, you know what? This is a bad idea. How about I just live? <laughs> well, the man his uh, who he paid, his name is Curtis Edward Smith, and he's been charged with assisting suicide, assault and battery conspiracy to commit insurance fraud and several other things that they can just throw at him oh god he yeah. I, uh, murder admitted it to him in wasn't he in a psychiatric facility oh, right yeah, now yeah yeah rehab or no he's going to rehab after he gets out of whatever so he like murder is saying this is actually i i hired him to kill me to help me with my suicide because i don't want to live anymore that's why i'm in a mental facility right now but what how did the um the insurance money come up then i think that police were like yeah uh, it's not a uh, weird that you have a 10 million dollar life insurance policy out on you as well mm-hmm. and my thing is wouldn't it invalidate the insurance policy usually don't they have a suicide clause yeah i'm pretty sure they do especially those big high expensive ones but what if he never went to the hospital and he wanted to fake his death. So he I thought that. that too. I was like, this sounds like a, a faked death situation. You just get that. But money. no, apparently the police showed up this week mm. at the facility. Oh, damn. And they were like, we need to talk. <laughs> you asked some questions about that night you were shot, sir. Yeah, so that's where that is. So they're both being. You can't really charge Murdoch with wanting to kill himself, but you absolutely can charge the guy who was going to help. Is that. That's it. I didn't. Assisted suicide. Well, it's illegal. It's illegal. I mean, you know about Kevorkian. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's illegal to help someone kill themselves hmm. in a lot of states. There are a few where it's okay, but for most, it's not. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Ish. <sighs> okay. All right. I'm ready for yours. 
Well, did I have a beach story last week? You did. <laughs> and like two weeks before then. Because one of them was about a lady diddling herself at the beach. <laughs> Always funny to hear. Anyway, this is another beach story. Oh Uh-oh. my goodness. Are you telling us something, Brian? Would you like to go to the beach? <laughs> I want to go to the beach. Why don't you go to the beach? Why are we going oh, with you, fam? Oh, goodness. A beach. No, not this time of year. It's okay. No, not <laughs> anymore. But no. You wasted it. Now it's almost <laughs> fall. It's fall in like two days. It is fall in two days. But um, this is in Galveston, Texas. Oh, Galveston. Galveston? Galveston. Yeah, Galveston. Yeah, uh, Texas. Um, happened on Monday. There was a man who was on the beach, you know, just strolling around. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in the spirit of Halloween. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. He, I think I saw a picture of this. <laughs> he probably did. I didn't know if it was real. I thought it was a meme. So he's, um, you know, he's strolling down a beach. He's wearing something. It's a, um, it's a mask and a, and a, a costume, and he's carrying something too. So he's wearing a Michael Myers mask, and he's carrying a bloody knife. He was wearing the jumpsuit too. Yeah, he was. He was. And he's just. And I saw multiple pictures. They looked staged. One of them was like far off in the distance. He's like facing sideways. Yeah, just, I'm like, what is going? This looks like it was a memed picture. It looks like an album cover. Like, like you know, you see that one where it's like you're goth, but you want to have fun. And yes. there's like a picture of like the Grim Reaper hanging out on the beach. Yes. That's what it reminded me of. And like they have pictures of him walking. It's just like his walk. He's just walking like Michael Myers. Oh, and wow. It's, 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 uh, it was hilarious. That's all. And I was like, yes, this, this is what I'm talking about this week. <laughs> um, but, I for, I wow, I really didn't think that was real. Yeah, he he posted pictures of him being uh, arrested too, with his hands behind his back on the sand with the police. It wasn't a real knife, was it? Uh, I don't think so. It was just a play knife, but you know how people are. So I guess uh, the cops in Galveston are not looking to have a 2016 clown situation happening mm-hmm. down there. I'm gonna say no. They're not rocking with that. No. Okay, so you're on TikTok a lot. Yes. Um. So am I, but I don't post anything. But you know, I watch videos. <laughs> okay. Um. Have you seen the videos of this guy who lives? I don't know where to live, but I'm pretty sure it's like in Florida or somewhere. Okay. Um. And he just dresses up as Michael Myers to do like random shit. There's so many people like that on TikTok who dress up like villains. Yeah. And they just like live. Yes. There's like a dude who looks like a min- the the bad guy from the Minions movie, <laughs> and he just be like. And then there's um. The, the dark-haired lady with the glasses from uh set kid movie with the family who are bad guys it has Frozone in it. Oh, um, Incredibles? Yes. There's someone who dresses like that lady, and she talks. There's so, like, it's really interesting. It's almost like people oh, took, okay. like, the creepy character stuff that was going on on YouTube, mm-hmm. and instead they did it wholesome on TikTok. It is wholesome on TikTok. Whereas on YouTube, they were, like, wearing Spider-Man and Elsa costumes and spanking each other. Yeah. At least mm. so on TikTok, they're just like, I'm Frozone, and I'm just going to go get some ice cream. Like, oh, my God. But, <laughs> but you- yeah, there's definitely a lot of people who do that. It's an interesting genre. It is, and it's uh, adorable to watch, because the Michael Myers guy, he just... The last one I saw, um, they were on vacation, mm-hmm. and they were at, like, a campground, and oh. <laughs> and he's just wearing the mask. He's cooking out and everything. I and would wear a mask, and then I would have a little Camp Crystal <laughs> shirt on, he, he, just a, to mock. He just has the jumpsuit on. He has Jason. a whole outfit. Oh, my God. 
Fuck Jason. But anyway. That's what I'm saying. You, if you are dressed up like Michael Myers, you wear a Camp Crystal like T-shirt while you're in the woods. And yeah. You're like, yeah, take that, Jason. Yeah, that's this is funny. It's just funny. Yeah, it is funny. It's funny crime, and he did get arrested, of, of course. Um, oh, poor guy. Uh, but he had, well cited with disorderly conduct. So all he was doing was just living his best spooky but, life. I mean, yeah, it's almost like I said last week. It's almost October. It so, is and it's, and it's uh, almost Halloween. So, yeah, that's what I got. This is just... I'm sorry. I'm looking at him at the bottom of a pier right now. <laughs> the water, like, lapping at his feet. This is beautiful. These are art. These are art. Oh, it was... I guess it was during the Tropical Storm Nicholas. Oh, so he's trying to die. I guess. He was trying to scare the storm off by dressing up as Michael Myers. And, you know, how, how storms are afraid of, you know, homicidal serial killers. Oh. And, you know. The storm I just thought those were good away. times to murder people because the cops were busy. <laughs> that You know what? During a natural disaster, like, you haven't seen Loki, but. Yes, I have. Have you seen Loki? Yeah. Okay. Like, during, um time what are they called oh yeah like, with the time situation like when, you get, when there's an apocalyptic event going on and that's when he the, was hiding in the horrible things that happened yep exactly or that's, sorry the variant was hiding yes um wait uh, spoilers no spoilers yeah i'm not gonna say anything else okay because i'm gonna end up giving away literally my favorite part which is like the last episode. Oh my god! So we're you talking about the first. The, no, the, the a particular person we saw at the end. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Changes the entire multiverse. Love it, but we can't talk about that right now. Oh goodness! It's already talk- been fourteen minutes, and we have to talk about murder. <laughs> Yay! Talk about Loki some other time. So earlier this year, I think you will remember that I embarked on a rather arduous task of a series of videos I called Killers in Your State. Yes. And when I got to Alaska, I covered the Butcher Baker of Anchorage, Robert Hansen. Then when I did a series of Women Who Survived, I covered him again because one of his victims, well, several survived but one in particular was the reason why he ends up getting arrested Mm. and so since he keeps popping up in my general true crime research i thought i would look more into the uh, man suspected of killing 21 people well of kidnapping raping and then releasing 21 women whom he was hunting oh i don't Mm -hmm. like i don't like that term at all it's because that's what it means and I'm going to already let you know that this is going to frustrate you, Brian, because it frustrated me. Oh, lovely. But let's, uh, before we discuss this 12-year killing spree and the very long prison sentence, let's learn about who he began as. Robert Hansen was born on February 15, 1939 in Esterville, Iowa, to Christian Hansen, a Danish immigrant, and Edna Hansen. His parents couldn't have been more different. Christian was easy to anger, very domineering, and Edna was super soft-spoken and quiet. They pretty much kind of embodied the gendered American ideals at the time. Unsurprisingly, Robert was never all that close with his father. 
1942, the family moved to Richmond, California, but didn't really blend in well with the city. His sister, Darla, was born in California. By the late 40s, the family moved back to Iowa, this time to the town of Pocahontas, Iowa. Now, when the Hanson family moved there in 1949, it had about 2,000 residents. And I checked, and the last time that we did the census, the population of Pocahontas was 1,574. Oh, wow. So it stayed pretty much a really small town. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows everybody. When they moved to Pocahontas, uh, his father decided to build a bakery, and it opened that same year. The town was pretty happy about having a bakery, and it became a major part of the community. It was great for his family, but absolutely awful for Robert. If you know anything about bakeries, they might not open until eight or nine, but the bakers get there very early to begin the process. And Christian expected his son to show up with him at 2 a.m. in the morning to get ready to prep everything for the day. And just as he was strict at home, he demanded perfection at work. Mm. He definitely let Robert know when he made a mistake and just how awful he was for having made one, even though Robert was 10 years old. Oh, poor guy. Not surprisingly, with a little boy waking up at 2 a.m., he'd fall asleep while he was at school and he never really excelled academically. And during this time, he developed a stutter, which his father also had, but it was made worse by his father's behavior and the general distress and anxiety in his life. And that got worse because he had it in a middle school. Mm. And when I say things like his family stressed him out, like his dad tried to force him to be right-handed for no <laughs> good reason. And I remember, I'm like, this is something we used to do to kids. Just like, you you can't, we have, <clears throat> we have to force children to write with their right hands. Mm. So that's a weird thing that stresses a child out. Unnecessary things parents do to make their children insecure. School wasn't much better. He grew into a tall, lanky, awkward teen with really bad acne and a stutter so bad that he was scared to speak at school. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he would struggle so hard to stay th say things that he'd just walk out of the room. The girls in school were pretty awful to him. And later on in life, he'd say that he only went on a few dates and he learned to detest women in high school. In 1950s, more people came to Pocahontas, and with more people came culture, bowling alleys, drive-ins, movie theaters, skating, dancing, and Robert wasn't allowed to do anything. <laughs> he was allowed to go to the bakery before school and after school, and he made about a dollar a day. His parents saw nothing wrong with what, because they were devout Lutheran Christians, and these other teenagers were heathens anyway. So Robert tried to do parent-approved activities to meet friends and girls. He joined the choir at church. He tried to play basketball and football but could never make the team. He did end up on the varsity track team in, on senior year, but that didn't, assess, uh, didn't really carry the same cool factor as being a varsity football player. Uh, yes, it does. Being able to run fast, can you imagine? Oh, my God. Or cross-crunchy stuff. You know, track, track and field is... Very. He wanted to be a football star, man. Whatever. <laughs> he did manage to have fun on his own, though. He let go in the woods, fishing, hunting. And that's, of course, where he learned skills that would be useful later in life. Mm. He graduated in May of 1957. And life didn't really change for him. 
Instead of working from 2 to 7 a.m. and then after school, he now worked all day long beside his dad. He needed a change. So he did what a lot of young men do when they want to get away from home. He joined the military. Yes. Yeah. He actually joined the Army Reserves. He was sent to Fort Dix in New Jersey, and this was the first time he'd been away from his parents, specifically his dad, and he started having experiences that he felt he should have had as a teenager. One of those being sex. Mm-hmm. Of course. Now, while he was in the Army, he won Soldier of the Week, which was his little honor, and they would give you a little paid weekend getaway in New York City with another soldier. So the two of them get to New York, and the other soldier's like, I'm trying to get laid. And so Robert was like, sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> so they spent their weekend with a pair of prostitutes in their hotel room. Uh, Robert wasn't really sure if the other man had a good time. It seemed like it. Mm-hmm. But he didn't really enjoy it. He was left kind of a little bit disappointed. Specifically because when he was with a prostitute, she was in charge. He didn't like that. Oh, he wanted to be in charge. He wanted to be in charge. He's like, everybody's in charge of my life. Right. Well, first of all, you're a virgin, sir. You didn't know what you were doing. So, of course, she had to be in charge. (laughs) So, you can't blame her for that. Well, so 1958, he got discharged. Perfectly fine. He was only in for a year. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that in the reserves you could just do it for like really short. I thought you had to sign up for the military for at least like two, four years. Mm. But he moved back to Pocahontas and he got a job as an assistant drill instructor at the local police academy. He did not move back in with his parents and he chose to live alone, allowing him to have some of his high school friends hang out with him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, They would talk guns and hunting And plus, most 19-year-olds didn't have their own place, and that made him a little bit cooler than some of the people who he had left high school with. However, he still resented that people had been mean to him in high school, as well as the staff at the high school had never really protected him. Mm -hmm. So when he was alone, he would really fixate on what he felt was people wronging him. On his own, he met his first girlfriend. Her name was Phoebe Paget. She was daughter of the town chiropractor. She was quiet and the child of two devout Lutherans who went to the same church as him. Oh, wow. Okay. The two had a pretty good relationship. And actually, very shortly after they met, Robert was considering marriage. But he also had a very dark need for revenge. So it started in October of 1960 with a tractor being blown up in the city of Rolf. Then someone slashed the seats of police chief Wiseman's police car. There was an unsolved break-in at the Farm Bureau. A barn burned down in December in 1960. Then police, Chief Wiseman, heard from a former classmate of Robert's who had heard at a party that the barn fire was Robert Hansen's fault and that Robert Hansen had plans to blow up the Wiseman's house. Oh. Well, uh, Chief Wiseman was like, that makes sense. I should probably look into that. Oh, does it now? And he thought about all the times that when he'd been to the bakery, that Robert was just kind of a weird kid. Mm -hmm. Like there was one situation that he mentioned where one time uh, Robert went, you can't even hear it, can you? And like threw a knife and it like silently went by him into a wall. (laughs) Oh, that's I'm not going back to that bakery. 
Actually, I well, might. So the police chief shows up at the bakery and Christian Hansen is like, this is absurd. You're framing my son. The Hansons immediately hire this lawyer. His name is Frank Shaw, best attorney in town, father of one of Phoebe's friends. The town, for the most part, took Robert's side. Sure, he was quiet, but there was no proof other than some drunk teenagers at another teenager's house Mm -hmm. saying he did something. Despite town support, though, he was charged with arson on May 29, 1961, and he spent three days in prison before his mother bailed him out of jail to the tune of $2,500. Damn. She said it was time for church, and jail or no jail, he was going to church. Oh, wow. (laughs) That same night, when he got bailed out, he and Phoebe got married. They spent a week in Florida for their honeymoon. They moved back into his apartment. And, of course, once he got back, he had to deal with these arson charges. And he just decides, after all this work, to plead guilty. Man, I would just... uh, No. (laughs) He tells the court, I guess I decided to burn down the barn because I hated the school with a divine passion. I would do whatever I think of to get back at that monster school that did bomb Hanson a personal wrong. Yes, he did refer to himself in the third person. Bob, bomb Hanson? Bob. Bob Hanson. Okay. That's funny, though. Bomb Hanson <laughs> yeah, wants that's to my... blow up things. He was sentenced to three years in the Iowa State Reformatory at Anamosa on October 9th, 1961. And Phoebe filed for divorce. Oh. His parents sold the bakery and they moved to Minnesota where they bought the Stony Point Resort at Leech Lake. So at ISF, Hanson met a psychiatrist for the first time. And he told that psychiatrist all of his feelings about high school and the bullies and his dad who was a bully. And he told him about the obsession with revenge and how he wanted to hurt all the girls who'd ever hurt him. And now he wanted to blow up the water tower in town and the officers' homes and shoot out the lights in their cars. And that how pretty much revenge was his motivation for waking up every morning. Well, then, they home. Well, the psychiatrist said that Robert had an infantile personality and that he should not be released for parole. <laughs> and that was when Robert knew he messed up. And being honest with the doctor, he had ruined his first opportunity at being released. From that point on, he realized he had to fake it. He got a typing job at one of the prison counselors where he would write letters for illiterate inmates to help them talk to their families. He began witnessing and offering religious guidance to other inmates. He got speech therapy through the University of Iowa that worked at the prison. According to his psychiatrist, he found a new purpose in life and his violent fantasies and antisocial personality were slowly disappearing. Hmm. He was granted parole in May of 1963. The Hansons weren't exactly happy with their son, but still they were like, he's a good boy. Come work with us at the resort. It's a super well-known area for game hunting, and their son is an excellent hunter. The lake was located in the Chippewa National Forest, which is now a national protected forest. So it was recovering from being from overlogging in the past. And he actually did really good in the wild. He painted boats and cabins. He put out docks. He was a guide in the forest and on the lake with fishing. Mm. <clears throat> um, he also met a cute girl there. Her name was Darla Henriksen. She was from Pocahontas, too, and they went to the same church. Well, imagine that. Robert was four <laughs> years older than her, so they'd never spent any time in, together at the high school. Oh, that's why. Okay. A bonus. They were both outcasts, though, because Robert had like this extreme acne. To the point where, like, he had scars on his face his entire life. Mm. Darla was almost six feet tall. 
which meant nobody wanted to date her either. Excuse me. Don't say nobody. Well, <laughs> she's a tall girl. It's different when you're a tall girl. A lot of people don't like tall girls. Some Just the, the wrong kind of guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway. So the two of them, they both love the outdoors. They shared a history of being bullied. They started dating. By the end of the summer, they wanted to get married. Darla's family wasn't really hype about it. They were like, you're trying to finish your degree. Mm -hmm. You should do that. And she was like, okay, you're right. You know, I did go to that resort to make money. So they postponed the wedding. Darla went back to school. Robert took a cake decorating class in Chicago. They wrote nice, beautiful, long letters to each other. And then they were like, screw this. We're moving to Minneapolis. Robert needed a job, though, and he had to leave her shortly after he got to Minneapolis. And then he had to go to Minot, North Dakota. Darla followed him as soon as she could. They got married and moved again because Robert got hired by a bakery in Moorhead, Minnesota. Then they had to move again when to Rapid City, South Dakota. And then they moved back to Minneapolis. Oh, my God. <clears throat> Things had been going really good for him. And then, you know... Got a little dark. That darkness creeped back in. It came back into his life. He was working at the Mir Bake Shop in Minneapolis. And he worked really hard, but he would lose his temper. And he was really arrogant with people who he thought was beneath him. Now, unable to be maybe as violent as he might have wanted, he started stealing. He was careful not to do, do it too often. But, of course, that wouldn't last. Because when anyone is doing that kind of behavior, it escalates. Mm Mm-hmm. On February 22nd, 1965, he gets arrested for stealing $11 worth of fishing lures at a sporting goods store. He begged his boss not to tell his wife. He's like, he called his boss and was like, please bail me out. Don't tell my wife. Mm -hmm. They didn't. He didn't tell Darla, but she found out anyway. And she convinced the pastor to support him and got the charges dropped. Oh, okay. This was the moment when he realized if you have a good reputation... It helps when you get in trouble. Just a little bit. But before he could work on his good reputation, his boss caught him looking through drawers at work with the intention of stealing. Oh, come on, dude. He had broken in with a knife. So, like, Robert managed to talk his boss out of filing charges, and he pretty much accepted that, like, he was going to get fired. Mm-hmm. Despite all these issues that he was having with this, he never stopped stealing. He would put on suits and just walk out of a department store. He got arrested for stealing a softball from a department store, but they didn't press charges because it wasn't worth that much money. Mm-hmm. Psychiatrists who studied this case think that kleptomania is the beginning of Robert Hansen's psychopathy and sociopathy. This is the thrill-seeking behavior and a lack of remorse, and it's definitely showing who he's becoming. Mm-hmm. Later, when he was interviewed about this time in his life, he told police that stealing turned him on and that when he got away with it, he would Almost ejaculate out of excitement. Oh, my God. Very nice. In hindsight, I'm sure everyone would have been happy if he had just continued stealing. Uh, But when Darla graduated from college in spring of 1967, the two decided it was time to move. This time they were going to Alaska and they road tripped their way up. They went camping, rock climbing. This was like their honeymoon. They arrived in Anchorage at the summer of 67 both Robert and Darla found work pretty quickly. He started working at a Safeway, decorating cakes, and she started teaching. They bought a duplex, and they made extra money by renting out the other half of the duplex. Oh, nice. Okay. Robert was able to enjoy Alaska without 
worrying about his parents breathing down his neck. Because the last time he was really in the wilderness and having a good time was when he was at the resort with his parents. Right. He and Darla frequently went frequently went hunting and camping. In 1969, he even got honors in hunting and bow hunting. He and Darla joined a church. Even though he never really went, they still liked him. Then Darla got pregnant in 1971. They sold the duplex and bought a larger home. Their first child was named Christy Hansen. This is when things started to change, though. He got distant with Darla, and he spent a lot more time out hunting. She knew something was off, but she didn't know why. The why really came to uh, a head on November 15th, 1971, at a stoplight. He pulled up to a light. He saw a woman in a car next to him. She smiled at him and then peeled off. So he followed her to her apartment and he knocked on her door. He asked her how to find another apartment in the building. And she was definitely freaked out. Um, He was stuttering a lot, so she couldn't really understand him. So he asked for the phone book. So he looked through it. And while he's like haphazardly like looking through it, he's like, want to go on a date with me? And she's like, I'm engaged. And so he leaves. A few days pass and she pulls into her parking lot at home. And there he is again. But this time he's got a gun. Oh, no. She screams and he forces her into the car at gunpoint. But before he can drive off with her, the cops show up because her roommate heard the scream and called 911. Mm-hmm. He runs off into the distance. The police ask questions. Um, she's unharmed. They go on their way. They're driving around. They see Hanson dressed like this woman's dad. Her name is Susie, by the way. I thought I'd put that in there earlier. Yeah, but her name is Susie. And the police are like, why are you just walking around in the morning? And he's just like, oh, I got dizzy while I was driving. So I just like been walking around the block trying to get, you know, some air. Police were like, cool. Can you get in the car? <laughs> and they drive him back to Susie's house. <laughs> And they Hmm. knock on the door and they're like, is this the guy who like just threatened you? And she's like, yes. So they take him to the station and he's like, listen, I was going to the fish and game office to get a moose hunting permit. I arrived too early. So I had to kill some time. I got dizzy and I walked around. (laughs) I had to kill some time. So I went and stalked this girl. (laughs) And I went to, you know. They were like, well, we found this gun in the trees. Is this your gun? He's like, it looks like one I might have at home. (laughs) They book him for assault with a deadly weapon, even though he said he had a blackout and didn't remember. They Mm. hold him until December 2nd. This hearing is pretty simple. Susie and the officers testify. The prosecutor wants a bail of $2,000 to keep him in jail and away from women. Robert's lawyer is like, no, listen, he's a family man. He's got a newborn baby, a loving wife. He's employed. He owns a house. He has no record in Alaska. <laughs> the defense is like, maybe we should just send him a therapy since he's obviously been just going through something that morning. Mm-hmm. He was let out to seek help. And he was told he could not visit Susie. And he was like, sure. That's fine. Okay. The thing, he found the thing that made him more turned on than stealing. Mm. Susie had given it to him when she screamed and cried when she was getting in the car. Of course. He could just find another woman in Alaska, right? No. December 19th, 1971, he sees his first victim. I have to say this here because we live in Pennsylvania. 
So it doesn't get this cold on the regular. Mm -hmm. The average Alaskan temperature is 11 to 24 degrees Fahrenheit in December, which is about negative 12 to negative 4 degrees Celsius. I'm not going outside for that. It's pretty rough. Um, And one of my friends who lived there in the past told me that one time he didn't have heat in his car. No. (laughs) So he was just driving being cold. Lay her up. But uh, a woman by the name of Barbara Fields was on her way home in the early morning, and she pulls up to a cafe. Hanson sees her there. He stutters, and then he orders her in the car with the threat of shooting her. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. What's up? I don't mean to um, make fun of a... What do you call it? A stuttering. Oh, a speech impediment? There you go. Because I stutter a lot, too. Um, But can you imagine just somebody coming up to you, the gun pointing, just stuttering, like, get in the car? (laughs) Yeah. In the books, and many of the books that I read, they, like, tried to showcase his stuttering in, like, the writing. And I was like, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not. Listen, he might be a, a... yeah, exactly. Great, but I'm not mocking people with speech impediments on the radio. Yes. Like I said, I have a stutter too. I do stutter as well. So I get it. I'm not making fun of just that. I'm just saying, like, I get it. I'm just like, could you imagine just me me coming up to you? <laughs> just. <laughs> no. Well, you make inappropriate comments about people's blood when you pick up food at the, gro- at the store late at night. Look. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, I can't imagine you doing a lot of things, sir. Okay. But, you know, people ask me what I'm doing, what I do for work, and then I'm just like... Carting blood around. Yeah, doing blood. And I'm like, oh, blood carrier. I'm like, yeah, cool. And then I'm like, what's your blood type? That's a weird question (laughs) to ask, Brian. I was just asking so they could donate blood because we have a shortage, you know? Okay. Either way, uh, Hanson ties... Barbara's wrists together and drives her to the Kenai Peninsula. He stopped on Indian Road and told her to get dressed and she convinced him not to rape her in public. She very quickly realized that if she did what she was told to, he wouldn't hit her because whenever she like sort of didn't immediately do what he asked, mm-hmm. he like smacked her with a gun. He stopped at a cafe in Portage Glacier and picked up cigarettes and uh, for both of them. And that's when she realized she was like, Christ, he intends to be with me for quite some time. Yeah, sorry. You had to smoke that whole pack. Two packs, 86. Mm. He assaulted her about 80 miles outside of Anchorage, and then they began to drive again. He tried to rent a cabin, but none were available. So he took her to the Sunrise Inn, and he raped her there, and he also beat her. Even getting mad at her because she was being too compliant. He was just like the other girls fought back. You're not giving and me she's what I like, want. I'm doing my best here, sir. I'm doing my best. <laughs> like, what do you want from me? I'm sorry. When he was unable to orgasm, he fell asleep, and he woke up, untied her, and took her back toward the Kenai Peninsula. But while they'd been in the hotel, it had snowed, and there was no way that he could drive a regular car through all that snow. So he turned back around, and he kind of just drove into the wilderness, and he told her to get out. And she sort of realized, oh, crap, Mm -hmm. he's trying to kill me. So she ends up like 
he's like, start running. And she's like, no. And she actually like drops to her knees and she's like, please, no, don't. I won't tell anybody. I've been really cooperative all day. She was like, look at all my identification, write down my address, my family's addresses. He wrote everything down, untied her, and they drove back to Anchorage. Okay. Making threats to her the entire way. But they made it back to the Nevada Cafe at 2 p.m. And he told her, I wish we could have met under different circumstances. Oh, my fucking God. And then he drove away. No, you didn't. Fucking well, since he had like accosted her when she hadn't even been able to like turn off her car, it had been running for like 12 hours. Mm-hmm. So gas gone. She goes inside. She calls her family. She was 18 years old. Mm. She kept quiet for a few days. And then on December 27th, she read about a girl named Celia Van Zantine. And Celia had left her house to go to a convenience store and never come back home. She was found by two men who were camping, and at first they thought what they saw was a mannequin with blonde hair in the snow. They said that the news said she had been gagged at some point, she was bruised, she had definitely been raped, and there were tire tracks that looked like someone had been trying to find her, and she had actually fallen off of a ravine. Oh my God. Barbara was like, that's definitely the guy. Mm-hmm. He did that. So she goes to the police. The police are very much overwhelmed with the Celia case the person who informed them actually that barbara was involved was her father her father was a police officer and in order to tell him what happened she had to also explain to him that the reason why she was coming home at two in the morning is because she sometimes was a prostitute a very hard conversation to have with your family but even more difficult in this situation yeah she explained the situation the similarities to the police the police were able to confirm that Hanson had been at the Sunrise Hotel and they bring him in. Hanson's in a tough spot. He had that that little card that he, she, he wrote down all her information on was still in his wallet. And there was a witness proving he'd been at the hotel. When they took him to the state prison, a guard was like, he was like, hey, I need my wallet real fast. And he grabbed the paper and crumbled it up and put it in his pocket. Mm. And the guard was like, what's that? And he said, these are the people who are going to get my bail money. I need their phone numbers. And the original paper got destroyed. Hanson's bail was set at $50,000. Damn. Hanson's lawyer, James Gilmore, crucified Barbara in court, though, at the hearing. She told the court she'd worked as an exotic dancer but did not say she was a prostitute. She admitted, however, on the stand that her child had been taken away by the state. He asked her what she'd been wearing. He asked, what was the rape like? Why did you wait 10 days to report it? He was really trying to, like, mess with her head. I fucking hate that. Without that slip of paper, though, with the family's names and numbers on it, this was just he said, she said now. Mm-hmm. Hansen had his pastor defend him. He had an environmental health officer from the Alaskan Native Health Service, who was one of his friends, and one of his friends testify, who was a district manager of a life insurance policy company. All of these men were well-respected in the community, and they supported Robert as a man who was ill, who needed help, but not jail. So Barbara's case has fallen apart. And so is Barbara. But he's still in trouble with Susie Hepburn. While that trial went on, he was required to meet with Dr. Ray Langdon. Langdon had reviewed his old psych records 
and had done a bunch of sessions with him. And Langdon diagnosed him as schizophrenic, susceptible to dissociative episodes where he become violent. Mm -hmm. Robert had no idea what he did that day. Langdon recommended intense psychiatric care. He was sentenced to five years at the South Central Regional Correctional Facility. And within three months, with the help of Dr. Langdon, who he was seeing biweekly, he was out in a halfway house. Where's Darla? His wife? Yeah. We're going to talk about her soon. Okay. <laughs> like I haven't heard about her in a while. He was never linked to the death of Celia Van <clears throat> Zantine. Robert learned another lesson. Cops and lawyers are not very nice to prostitutes. They make good victims. Unfortunately, that is still very much true today. Yes. So, over the next couple of years, he does stay out of trouble. But there's speculation that he's responsible for some other crimes that happen while he's in therapy. So, 1973, Darla takes Christy to see her family. And on July 17th, a 17-year-old girl named Megan Emmerich goes missing after putting her laundry outside. She never comes home. September of 1974, Hanson offers a 16-year-old girl named Layla, she's only referenced as Layla in court, mm. a ride home. She later told reporters that he forced her to give him oral sex at gunpoint, forced her to flash another driver because she had told him that she was a virgin, and then he let her go. She didn't tell the police, but she did tell her foster parents, and the next day they asked that she be removed from their care. Oh, wow. Layla wouldn't speak about this again for another decade. That was rough because the reason why she didn't go to the police is because she thought that it would affect her right. standing in foster care. And then she tells her family and they still get rid of her. That's Yeah, that's that's terrible. Come on. That's not that's not what she needed. Well, July 5th, 1975, Mary Phil, 23, disappears in Seaward. Her husband offers a $1,000 reward. Her body is never found. He kidnaps an adult dancer who he meets at the Kit Kat Club in 1975. Just like his other victims, he forces her in the car, drives her far away, rapes her. He even mocks her by saying, you wouldn't be a good witness against me anyway. What the fudge? She remembered his license plate number and told it to a worker at the Anchorage Rape and Sexual Assault Center named Cheryl Messer. Cheryl acted as a go-between between the dancer and the police. Mm -hmm. uh, they gave a picture of Robert Hansen to the facility. The girl said it happened, but... She wouldn't give the police her real name. Um, she told them in the end it was because she is a teacher as well. And she didn't want to lose her career. I mean, okay. An interesting thing about Alaska and a lot of other places where there's a lot of wilderness is it's very easy to get lost, turn around, trapped it. in the weather, and you die from exposure. People go missing there all the time. So it's the perfect place for Robert to be attacking women. They even believe that potentially he killed before Celia Van Zantine. We just don't know. Mm -hmm. Now, funny, he's doing all this these years, right? Of all the things he's doing is not rape or kidnapping that gets him in trouble. It's because he tried to steal a chainsaw from a home goods store. Oh. He tried to do that trick where you find an old receipt and then you return the item to the store thing. Yeah. When I worked at Sears in college, we had loss prevention workers, and our job was specifically to track the person who bought the TV from the electronics department because you had to walk, you had to go outside to the loading area, and then they would deliver your TV to your car. Mm -hmm. 
um, during Black Friday. And for our international listeners, that's our major ho- holiday before Christmas. Christmas. It's right. We would have people show up at the loading dock with fake receipts. And uh, it was my job, along with other people, to make sure that that didn't happen. Yeah, I remember retail. <laughs> this is the kind of thing that Robert Hansen tried. He didn't think the security guard was going to check the receipt and that the receipt had a $200 chainsaw on it. And just in case you aren't familiar with 1970s Alaskan law, when it comes to theft, this would have been a misdemeanor then. Any item over 50 but under 500 was second degree theft. The problem was he had a history of violent charges against him and a history of theft charges, with this one being an escalation. This was the most he'd ever attempted to steal. Mm -hmm. So the prosecutor pushed for felony larceny. Okay. A different doctor this time, Dr. Alan Parker, said he was schizophrenic, narcissistic, and had an anti-personality disorder, anti-social personality disorder. Hansen thought, that makes me look bad. I'm going to get a different doctor. What? <laughs> what? Sir, He's what like, this? no, I don't like that diagnosis. I need a little less. But sir, what, if that's what you have. That's what you have. So at the trial in 1977, January, he tells them he'd been planning on giving his father a present. And since they had such a terrible relationship, he wanted to help the old man. He had had just had a second child named Johnny and they'd spent all their money on a new house. He wasn't going to do it. But then he saw an older man have a heart attack in a parking lot. And that really made him obsess over his father's mortality. And he still really wanted to give him that chainsaw. <laughs> That's actually what he said. It's ridiculous, but he said it. His new psychiatrist, Dr. Barth McCannon, testified that Robert had bipolar disorder and that he would go through manic phases more than depressive phases and that the thefts occur during the manic phase, which he is often plagued by. And he was violent and klepto whenever he was experiencing mania. Hansen pled guilty and was given another five years in prison. He was to spend two years at the Juno Correctional Institute and then three at Eagle River. This is because Juno didn't have a mental health facility. Okay. But it didn't matter. Because he got paroled in a year. I told you you're going to get frustrated. <laughs> Then he just misses a parole appointment in September of 1978. Nobody looks into this. They never set up any guidelines for his parole. He's just free. Are you kidding? I am not kidding. Look. It, mm, 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 mm. Never mind. Never mind. And it's almost hilarious that here is this guy capable of sorrying his way out of a felony and a country... A business that didn't even lose the product is able to get a conviction. And nothing happens after he's definitely raped three women. Like, it's almost so horrible I want to laugh. And these oversights here that keep happening are why things get way worse. Now, like I said, you were wondering what happened to Darla. Mm -hmm. Darla was just trying to keep things together. Because... Christy was about two years old when he gets arrested the first time. And then they have a new baby the second time he gets arrested. She's taking care of two kids on one salary and he keeps getting arrested and put back in prison. And while he was never outright violent with her, he was really quick to anger and she was definitely scared of him. Mm -hmm. She didn't know what he was doing. She just thought 
that he had like an issue with sleeping with prostitutes. And she didn't want to ask any questions because she didn't want to know about it. In fact, she separated their bank accounts and all of her money went towards running the house and taking care of the kids. Mm -hmm. And she had no idea what he was doing with his money at all. Uh, Like, I always wonder about the, you know, the families of these killers. She just, she was just like, I don't, I don't know where you're going half the time. And she's like, I don't even want to ask him because I don't want to deal with him screaming and throwing things. Yeah, but you're his wife. Yeah, but that's abuse. And I can't judge somebody for the way that they handle not being emotionally abused. She just decided to keep the peace. Yeah. Okay. She obviously disproved the fact that he was seeing, you know, working girls. But a lot of women dealt with that in the past. Mm -hmm. What he was doing during the day was working at random bakeries, then spending a lot of his time at topless bars at night all around Anchorage. There, he meets Christy Hayes at a club called Embers on October of 1979. She was actually open to being paid to have sex with him, but that's not what he really wanted. He got off on scaring them. He tied her up while she was screaming, threw her in his camper, and drove away from the club. Yes, he had upgraded, no longer throwing her in the back of his car. Oh, he got a camper for that snow. He brought a camper this time. Oh, he doesn't have to go to hotels anymore. Right. So while they're driving away, though, Christy gets her hands untied and she is screaming and banging on the windows as he is driving away. Oh, yeah. He slams on the brakes and, of course, she flies across the thing, hits her head. But before she is going to go unconscious, she locks the camper door. And then as he gets out of the cab. She climbs into the cab and she locks one door and then she goes to lock the other one. But the window's down. So he reaches in and she's kind of cranking it as fast as possible. Yeah. He pulls his arm back so fast that he breaks the window. Oh. He pulls her out of the car and she runs off naked and bleeding and running back into the city of Anchorage towards the lights. He's like, whatever. And he just throws away her clothing and drives away. Oh, my God. Yeah, whatever. Now, Christy quits working at Embers and she moves to a new club. She changes her wig so she looks different and changes up her look a little bit. Mm -hmm. So much so that when Hanson walked into the Alaskan Bush Company, he didn't recognize her. Also, what a name for a strip club. The Alaskan Bush Company. Oh, that's the that's, that, that is like the a, name of the strip club that she worked at. That is a great name. I actually like that. Fam. Alaskan Bush Company. <laughs> that is classy and slutty. Yes. I love it. Side note, though. Yeah. So she sees him walk in and he comes up to the stage and she just jumps on him and starts clawing at his face. She's so mad. Yes. The police come and they're just like. She's like, he attacked me when I worked at a previous plug club. He followed me here. And he goes, oh, yeah, we agreed to do something before. But she changed her fee on me before, you know, we got down to it. And I refused to pay. That's why she's mad at me. And since when she had reported it the first time, she hadn't been able to pick him up out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. The police were like, mm. Mm, yeah, OK, yeah. Now, in between those two meetings. He had met another woman, which he ended up telling the police about this later. He took her up to an area named Occultna Road. And when she ran away from him, he shot her and buried her body. 
She is referred to only as a Colna Annie because we don't know who this victim is. She either didn't have any family in Alaska mm. and was just there by herself, but they just refer to her as a Colna Annie. So spring of 1980 now, it's another year. He picks up a woman at the docks in Seaward. Her name is Joanne Messina. The two have a really nice conversation. And then as they're like chilling, she's like, listen, I don't have anywhere to go and I don't have any money. If you could help me out, I could help you out. He's super pissed. He thought she was a nice regular lady and really she was just a prostitute. He drives her far away from Seaward and when she tries to run away, he beats her to death with his 22, throws the gun in the river and buries her body in a gravel pit covered with sand. Mm. Later that year, state troopers learned of these remains that were found in the Kenai Peninsula. But when they got there, what they witnessed was a black bear ripping the body apart. Oh, no. The bear ate about half of the crime scene. So they didn't have that much left to go on. Mm. No one at this point believes that any of these disappearances are linked. They're all happening roughly four to six months apart. Again, people go missing all the time in Alaska. These were women who were all transient sex workers who moved from place to place all the time. They're very hard to pin down. Mm. However, a detective by the name of Maxine Farrell became suspicious in the summer of 1980. Police were called on July 21st because electrical workers had discovered a shallow grave. She was skeletonized and it was clear that she had died of a stab wound. July 8th, so a few weeks later, that's when they find Joanne Messina's body. She thought it was odd that two women were buried in a shallow grave in the same area. Also at that time, Roxanne Eastland was reported missing on July 1st. She went on a date with an unknown man on, July, on June 28th, was never seen again. Lisa Futris from Hawaii met a man after her shift at the Alaskan Bush Company and disappeared. She was reported missing a month later. February of 81, Molly Casey, Michelle Strong, and Maria Schmidt all go missing after their shift at the Wild Cherry Club. They are all reported missing February 19. June Malai Larson disappears from downtown Anchorage. She was trying to make money on the street to return to Thailand. She is reported missing in July. November 17, 1981, Sherry Morrow, who also danced at the Wild Cherry, goes missing. He took her very far away, and when she tried to fight him, he shot her at point blank range buried her body in a shallow grave right near a lake. Then he took a trophy, a gold arrowhead necklace that she wore all the time. Mm. December, Andrea Altery went on a date with an older man at the Boniface Mall. We don't really know how he convinced her because she did everything right. She told people where she was going. She told them where she met him. They met in public. Mm. Somehow, this turned into him blindfolding and handcuffing her and taking her to the Nick River Railroad Bridge. He fondled her, and I will say this. He didn't remember her when he was interviewed about this. The police officer had to say, do you remember the one with the large breasts? And he was like, yeah! That's how he remembered Andrea. Wow. Because of, I guess, repeatedly fondling her. He, uh, she made an attempt to run when she asked him to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. He shot her as she tried to fight him back. 
Then he weighed her body down and dropped her into the Nick River. He stole, before he dumped her in the river, though, he stole a pearl ring and a fish necklace that had been custom made for her. May 26, 1982, he kidnapped Sue Luna. She was reported missing when her sister dropped by apartment her a few days later and realized that she hadn't been there in a while. Tamara Peterson went missing shortly after in the summer of 1982. On September 12, 1982, two off-duty police officers were out hunting for moose and came across a raised depression near the Nick River. Their curiosity got the better of them, and they found a woman wearing a light blue jacket under the dirt and gravel. And they called it back when they got back the next day. Because it's in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. In April of 1983, he meets Paul Golding. He convinces her to get into his car with $300, forced her to get in his airplane, flew to Nick. When they landed, she tried to run away, and he shot her. Okay, I'll put a pause on that because you just looked at me crazy. So here's what happened. <laughs> Where did he get an airplane? <laughs> well, he got an insurance payout, which I was going to mention a little mm. bit later, but it's fine. We can mention it now. Mm. So he tells, remember he had all those trophies and mm. awards and stuff? He had that all insured. Okay. And then he tells the insurance company that they were stolen. And he even files a break-in report to police. He does everything by the book. He gets enough money that allows him to buy a bakery and a plane. What do you need a... Well, I guess I know what you need a plane for now, but... Yeah, you need a plane to fly women to the remotest part of the Nick River oh and murder them. Yeah. God. Well, okay. Well, at least he got a bakery, I guess. He did. He did manage to do that. He was... Uh, that's what he was spending his time. So at that point, you know, at least they couldn't make, you know, Darla too mad. Yeah. He, he was like, listen, some... I'm working at the bakery. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. He's working at the bakery and going to the titty bars. Yeah, we know what you're doing, okay? Uh, 26-year-old Angela Federn and Teresa Watson, a masseuse from the Foxy Lady, were also buried outside of an area called Scenic Lake. When he added new women to this collection, he started taking things from them. And he would put an X on this aviation map. It happened so frequently by the time he got caught, he didn't remember who had been buried where. Wow. The thing, though, was the fun of his kills were starting to wear off. And he just wanted, he was just like anxious at this point. He's like, Ugh, one of these days somebody's going to overpower me. One of these days I'm going to get found out. So he switches things up. He tells Darla, I'm going to pay for a vacation for you and the kids to go to Europe. Darla's like, this sounds great. One, I get to not be around you in your weird, creepy, sour moods. Two, I can go visit your family. So, like I said, he had that money now because of the bakery Mm -hmm. and the insurance fraud. Right, right. And now with Darla and the kids gone... He could do what he wanted. So he starts putting singles ads in the local paper. Oh, my God. He wanted to meet a good woman, though. Not a woman like the women he was meeting at the strip clubs. This is what the ad said. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Adventurous male, 42, 5'11", 165 pounds, looking for a lady proud to be a woman. To share sincere, honest attachment. Must like to dance and enjoy social life. Willing to put on jeans. Join me in finding what's around the next bend, over the next hill. Enjoy flying on plane, beachcombing, fishing, camping. Life is much fuller when shared. Send recent photo. He added his own photo and he dropped the application off at the post office. 
This ad ran on May 8th and again on May 15th, and he got about 30 responses. He set up a couple of dates. They were okay. Nothing too exciting. Then he met Karen O'Leary, and he liked her a lot. That was June. Hmm. They liked each other. They used to go out <coughs> dancing. They had dinner on her on June 8th for her birthday. Mm-hmm. They went back to his house. They hung out in the basement. He showed her all the dead things on the wall. Oh, cool. He tried to convince her to have sex with him. She was like, ah. I'm not that kind of girl. No, thank you. Then he was like, what about right here on this bare skin rug? She was like, no. And I know he was we're, like, okay. I know we're from Alaska, but no, that's okay. It ended amicably a little bit later. And then came Cindy Paulson and Robert Hansen's undoing. Okay. Yay. He gets called. So the personal ads were fun, but they also weren't very thrilling. So he went back to his normal routine of scouring the streets for sex workers. Sydney was in downtown Anchorage working when she saw a familiar car. This was the John who had made an appointment with her and he had stood her up previously. There he was again, this time saying he'd pay her $200 if she could just go with him now. He only wanted a blowjob. Mm-hmm. Even though Cindy was only 17 years old, she'd been doing this since she was 12. And so she did understand yeah, she has a pretty tragic backstory, unfortunately. Um, she knew that that was too much money for what he wanted. Mm-hmm. But she also really needed the money. So she kind of overrode the warnings, flashing signs in her head and got it anyway. Robert took her to a parking lot and had her do what he asked. And just before he finished, he like grabbed her by the throat and yanked her up by her hair. He's like, no, we're going to my house. He told her he had no intention of hurting her. He'd done this before and that those girls had been allowed to go home if they had just did what they told or told. He led her into the basement and there she got a good look at his collection. On all four walls were animal heads and trophies for hunting. And that is when Sydney was like, oh, this is a man who likes to kill things. Mm-hmm. He cuffed her hands and put a chain around her neck, connected it to a pillar in the basement. The chain stretched far enough that it made it to the bearskin rug. Oh. Which is where he raped her, and she has no idea how long, because in her head, she said it felt like hours. Mm. Even at one point, he put a hammer inside of her. Very ah. weird. When it was over, he was exhausted. He got up, gave her a towel to pee on, turned on the television, and took a nap. Wow. She did not sleep. She watched him from the floor. She considered trying to grab something in the room to kill him, but she was afraid that the chain would clink and wake him up. Mm. When he woke up, though, he informed her that he wasn't done with her. He pretty much like helped her get dressed, took the chain off from her neck, uh, left her cuffed, and said, I'm going to fly you to my cabin. Mm. Put a blanket over her and put her in the backseat of the car. At the airport, he parked his car by a small airplane. She heard him step out and open the trunk, and he was, like, kind of struggling with something. Mm -hmm. And when she peeked out from under the blanket, she realized that the door was open. It was all she needed. Yes, yes. She jumped out of the car and began sprinting down the gravel. No shoes, nothing. Just going for it. Tear up those feet. She is screaming at this driver who's coming up. She's like, stop, stop. He is chasing her. He's like, I'm going to get you. The car stops. She hops in and she's like, you need to go. Go to the Big Timber Motel. They peel off because the guy, his name was Robert Yunt, was like, 
we should probably go to the police. And she was like, no, I just want to go home. Mm. Uh, he ends up dropping her off at the Mush Inn Motel. And she calls her pimp who gets her a cab to Big Pim- Big Timber. But she was so disheveled and like visibly frazzled that the motel clerk is like, Mm-mm, sit down. No. And she calls the police. Mm. The call went over the radio. Investigate circumstances involving a white female adult picked up by her complainant and taken to Mush Inn. Female is said to be handcuffed, has medium brown hair, wearing a purple jacket, Levi's, and no shoes. Because despite what uh, Robert was told, he also called the police <laughs> and was like, bruh, I saw this guy chasing this girl. And then I dropped her off at the hotel because she told me to. But like, she looks kind of young. Yeah. Okay. Officer Glenn Baker and Wayne Vance got to see her. They uncover. She tells them the story. Cindy is less worried about herself, but she's like, he's going to do this to somebody else. So Officer Baker is like, cool. If you care about this like you say you do, let's go to the airstrip. Show me the plane. Mm -hmm. They stop. This is before they head to the uh, hospital to do a rape cat. Mm -hmm. And she points out this blue plane and she's like, that's the one. So he takes on the information. They drop her off at the hospital. They very quickly link the plane to Robert Hansen. Not that many people own planes. Right. He had gone back to his house after Cindy ran away. Cleaned the place so there was not a shred of any evidence that she'd been there. He called the neighbor, set up an alibi. He told the neighbor, I went to see a prostitute. Uh, she robbed me. I am worried I might get in trouble for hitting her. They were like, bet, fine. You were at my house from midnight to dawn fixing an airplane seat. You were nowhere near the Merrill airfield. When he gets back from that meeting with his friend where they came up with the alibi, mm-hmm. the cops are already at his house. He lets them search. His alibi is airtight, coming from another respectable man. Officer Baker is kind of like shocked because he's like, this seemed like an open and shut case about an hour ago. Right. And now it's going to get closed in a day. In fact, they asked Cindy to take a lie detector test. And she's like, no. What was it a rape kit? Takes weeks to come back. Oh, come on. Thing is, Baker had seen her at the hotel and he was like, her reaction, you can't fake that. Mm-hmm. That was that was too real. She was too scared. And the case didn't make any movement until September of 83. They found another body at Nick River. It would be a year before they were able to identify it as Sherry Morrow. However, at both the Nick River crime scenes, there were shell casings and bullets in the women. Oh, hey. So those were sent to the FBI to see if they were the same from the same weapon. So for anybody who doesn't know, the science behind this is that modern guns have a specific characteristic known as rifling, which is a spiral in the barrel of the gun. It gives a spin to the bullet for accuracy, and depending on how the manufacturer makes the gun, they might cut it manually, or they use sometimes like an electrolytic process to create that spiral. Mm -hmm. It is unique to different manufacturers. Like, no manufacturer has the same pattern. So even though it is not unique as, say, a fingerprint, it is unique enough that you can look at the microscopic markings on the bullet and compare them to another bullet and bare minimum know this came from the same gun. Yep. The Nick murders were then handed over to Glenn Floth, and he had a track record for solving murders. When he got this case in 1983, he had 17 homicides under his belt. 
16 had been solved. Nice. While sexism stopped uh, Maxine Farrell from being able to work with him, they were still treating her like she was crazy for saying that there was a serial killer. Mm. She gave uh, Floth her whole file that she had been keeping track of, of all these mysterious women who were all prostitutes who had all gone missing. And with that, plus the information from Nick River, Floth was like, oh, yeah, no, I agree. There's a serial killer in Anchorage. And not only is it a serial killer, but he is killing the most vulnerable people in town. Mm-hmm. That's what they usually do. So Floth goes out on a limb and contacts the FBI at Quantico, Virginia. He wasn't sure if they'd say yes, but he heard a lot of news about that whole behavior science division. And of all people to call him back, Roy Hazelwood does. Mm. Now, a lot of people listening will know Roy Hazelwood as the inspiration for TV shows like Criminal Minds or Mindhunter on Netflix. He is one of the two people who helped to create the entire concept of FBI profiling by interviewing serial killers in the 70s. He is most famous for coming up with the concept of organized and disorganized killers setting up and setting up profiles based on how serial killers plan their murders. He also has a lot of research on sex killers and lust killers. Research I have read, but it is very intense and not really something I can make a TikTok about. Mm-hmm. To make his books brief, as brief as I can, Disorganized killers are uneducated, socially awkward, and are usually into things like bestiality or necrophilia. They're very delusional. Their crimes are messy. They choose victims where they live, and their crimes are excessively violent. Organized killers are almost the exact opposite. They blend seamlessly into society. They live double lives. They take great care to plan their murders. They execute them well. They plan their alibis, and they clean up. This is very much the difference between someone like Jeffrey Dahmer and someone like Robert Hansen. Mm-hmm. Dahmer was delusional and completely a mess, which is why it's surprising that he was able to just kill. Nobody was doing their job. (laughs) Uh, But with an organized killer, they are a little bit more difficult. They tend to not pick people where they live. Hazelwood immediately zeroes in on Robert. He's just like, this guy's going to be a hunter. Is he a hunter? He's like, our suspect is a hunter. He's into guns, hunting. Is he married? Floth is like, our suspect is married. He goes, not only is he going to be married, he's going to be married to a very religious woman who has no idea what he's up to. Bro. Eerily accurate. And honestly, it was so accurate that it gave Floth hope because he was like, we have the right guy. (laughs) Everything lines up. So in October... He meets with Christy Hayes and the stories line up with what happened to Cindy. One problem, though, one thing that didn't look like he didn't like the how tidy the insurance situation was in 1982. He was like, wait a second. We were in that house. There are trophies in that house. <laughs> if someone's stealing your game collection, they're not leaving the heads on the walls. No, definitely not. So he's like, not only is this rape and kidnapping and probably murder, but also insurance fraud, which is something that they can get them and hold them on. Mm-hmm. At the end of the year, they get a warrant and they show up at the house. Darla greets them. She's there with Robert's mom, Edna. 
and the kids. The kids freak out as the police rip the house apart. They go through everything and the whole place seems like a waste of time. And then one of them is just like, that's a door to an attic, isn't it? You know, the little piece, the little square in the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And they open it and they go upstairs. And that is where they find his trophies. A gold arrowhead necklace. His trophies. And a pearl ring and a fish necklace. His real trophies. They also find an aviation map with a lot of X's on it. Mm. Outside of the house, they meet Joanne Henning, the wife of Hanson's neighbor. And she's just like, I need to talk to you. And they're like, uh, okay. All right, very aggressive neighbor. She's just like, my husband lied for the man who lives here because he thought it was just an affair. But this doesn't seem like what you go through when there's an affair. No. We don't bring all these people here to dust everything for an affair. And so then they bring John Henning. From, he comes home from work. And he's like, yeah, no, I definitely lied. I'm sorry. So the state troopers start looking up the exes. And they realized that the X's correspond with two cases they were already looking at and two that they had already that were not linked. And now that's four. So if four of these X's are bodies, we need to go look at the rest of them. My God. It took a little bit, but Cindy agreed to testify. They go to Hanson and they're like, listen, we got all your stuff. We got your witness. She's going to testify against you. Hanson doesn't break. He denies everything anytime they speak to him. He gets an attorney and they drag this out for another year into 1984. And finally, they show him the aviation map and they're like, listen, just come with us. We're just going to go to some of these spots. We're going to take a helicopter tour and we're going to stop at some of these locations. A nice little ride. And when he gets out... And into the wilderness, it's like that. Mm. It's a different person than the timid, stuttering guy in the police station. He's in control. He's aware of his environment. They find Tammy Peterson, Sue Luna, and Malai Larson immediately. Within a day, they find 12 bodies. Oh, my God. Due to decomposition and lack of forensic evidence, he only is charged with four murders. Uh, Klutna Annie, Joanna Messina, Sherry Morrow, and Paula Golding. He pleads guilty and is sentenced to 461 years plus life in prison for assault, kidnapping, theft, insurance, fraud, murder, and rape. Mm -hmm. Based on the X's on the map, it is assumed he killed 21 women, but only 12 were found. He admitted to raping over 30. Apparently, nobody really bothered him in prison, which I was kind of sad to learn about. Yeah. If I'm honest. Why? However, his crimes did launch a nationwide discussion of consent in sex work. Because for a very long time, people did not believe that sex workers are allowed to say no. What? This was a national conversation. I am Can a... you even rape a prostitute? 
You yeah. paid for it, so you're allowed to take it, right? No. That was the conversation we were having in the 80s. Excuse me. You, there's an agreement. First of all, you're paying for a service, the service that you guys both agree on. If you go and like go for something else and you're like, no, 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 this is not what we agreed on. Well, it's the notion of, and I hate to do this, but the easiest connection is food. I go to McDonald's. I buy a sandwich. They're like, ah, we don't got this sandwich. Here's your money back. Bye, go away. You can't like jump over the counter and be like, fuck you. I'm going to make this sandwich right now. <laughs> That's weird and aggressive and unnecessary. So like, if the person goes, no, thanks. I've decided not to do this thing. Yeah. That's the end of the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I hate to compare women to food because, you know, they love to do that to us on the Internet. Well, but it's, a, snacks. you know, <laughs> I only be called a snack. Call me a snack. Anyway. <laughs> but. You know, you can't like, well, you're not supposed to be able to. But yeah, that was something that became part of the national discourse because of this trial. I'm doing a job, sir. If I say no, I don't want to do the job. I'm not going to do the job. Oh, okay. Well, he spent the rest of his life in prison at the Spring Creek Correctional Center in Seward. He died on May well, he died in May of 2014. He was 75 years old. Mm. Darla divorced him after he pled guilty. Of course. She moved her and her children to Arkansas. And they tried to have a nice life. They were going to stay in Alaska, but just the, the bullying from the other kids was too much for the children, mm -hmm. for Johnny and Christy. As of right now, Darla doesn't even live in America. It was last reported that she is teaching in Russia. And that Christy and Johnny live somewhere in the Northwest. They do not have the last name Hanson. And they do not take kindly to being contacted about their father. Okay. Awesome. Sergeant Glenn Floth is still alive, living in Alaska with his family, taking cute pictures. I saw a couple of them online. Cindy Paulson. The night of the conviction, she and Glenn Floth had a dinner. It was him, his wife, and her to celebrate. And then the next day, she left. Um, it wasn't until... I don't know if you heard about the movie Frozen Ground? No. It is about this case. And it's uh, the director was doing the research for it. It was his first film. It was very much a passion project of his. As he began doing the research into it, he said he really cared about the stories of the people. And so he wanted to get it right. So he contacted Sydney, Cindy, and he learned that she hadn't told anybody about what happened really ever. She'd never gone to therapy. She hadn't told her family. And she agreed to the interview with the condition that anything I tell you, I have to tell my husband. Mm. He knows that I went through some pretty traumatic stuff when I was young. But he needs to know what's going to be on TV with my name on it. Mm -hmm. they met over a five-day period she told him her entire life story and she told that like she would go home she would tell she would have a 10-hour interview with the director go home and tell her husband everything that she told him um, afterward like later after he was long gone she sent the director a letter and she was like it was nice to finally get it all out mm -hmm. i believe it she is since they think she's moved her family back to alaska she doesn't do any interviews. Uh, in fact, the last person who she spoke with was Vanessa Hudgens, 
who was who mm. played her in the movie. Mm-hmm. She has not had any contact with anyone else in the media. No. And like most people who are a part of these situations, they just want to live a life of peace. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And there's the story of the butcher baker. That's a... I told you you're going to be frustrated, though, at the amount of passes they gave this man. <laughs> Look here. Bruh! <laughs> How many times do you get arrested for doing right? shit and then just... Uh... And then letting him out within three months? Yeah. For the felony? And then with the, the freaking sex worker thing, it's just like... Well, just the fact that, like, but they showed him through the way that they treated those women during the trial and the investigation process, mm. we don't care about you. We don't care about them. So it only solidified for him further. Yeah, that was like the second... You can do that. You can keep doing what you're doing. We yeah. don't care. Yeah, that was the second time he got arrested. And then he was like, oh, He got arrested cool. twice for Barbara and Christy. Yeah. And yeah, he was like, oh, Christy's cool. Christy's the one he chased. Yeah. Well, you know, she screamed and he tried to throw her in the car. Yeah. Yeah. yeah ridiculous so uh, so cringe it really is it's unfortunate and it's unf- it's it's one of these things where you look at these cases and you're like mm-hmm. we should be further along from this than we are but we're not does this happened what year <sighs> <laughs> he finally got convicted in like 84 oh about a couple years before we were born but was he was it, started yeah. <laughs> this a long time ago Oh, goodness. I don't know if I believe in going to jail for five years for theft, but bare minimum. Like, after the attempting to kidnap Christy and then actually kidnapping Barbara, Mm -hmm. we can throw you away forever, fam. Yeah, definitely. That should have been a wrap for him. I don't care if you released her. You still kidnapped her, raped her, and drove her across the state. You should have got something for that. Yeah, something. But they really, they harassed the crap out of Barbara. And it made it like, and that's the reason why so many people who are victims of sexual assault do not want to talk about it with the police. Like, how are you going to ask somebody on the stand? What was the rape like? Yeah. And then, like, why'd you come 10 years after early? Why'd you not tell us till 10 days later? Or 10 days Because I saw a story that reminded them of me. And actually, that woman, Celia Van Zin, she was incredible. Because remember, she fell off a ravine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then she climbed up 20 feet before she ended up passing out she climbed it was like a 50 foot fall Mm -hmm. she survived it and climbed almost halfway up again she could have almost made it back up to the main road Mm -hmm. but they think that like he like followed her in the car as she was running away i mean yeah he he said he was hunting them so he was Mm -hmm. yeah he was definitely chasing her in the car he found her unfortunately yeah damn I hate this. Yeah. But um one other thing that I wanted to remind you of. This is how crazy America is. There have been women who are sex workers who have gotten justice for being sexually assaulted at work. Mm. Not by filing it as a rape charge. Filing it as theft of services <laughs> and that is the crazy place that we live oh my god because we care more we care about... more about business yes. than we do about people yes so if you file it as he robbed me of several hundred dollars worth of my services 
you are more likely to get that taken seriously in the court of law. That's fucking. Isn't that amazing? That is ridiculous. So god crazy. Every once in a while, I just see something go. I hate it here. Yeah. <laughs> just humanity. I hate it. Yeah, here. yeah. I hate it. Just yeah. Basically, but. it's like everywhere. But yeah. Tell me something good, Brian. Okay. So it's September, meaning almost time for Halloween. No Please get get those costumes ready for your kiddos and yourself. It's getting cooler at night, and autumn is. In there. Wait a second. Wait a second. This this is this is how I started off last week's episode wow it's deja vu right oh really wow that's kind of crazy my goodness well that's what we're talking about today the deja vu wow <laughs> you're so i hate you <laughs> i even hate the way that you you turned the pages <laughs> oh Deja vu. Look, you gave me a whole week to think of crazy, stupid shit. That you know what's so fun? Your <laughs> intros are so much better than mine. I have to figure out how to intro. Here's this awful person I'm going to talk about. You give great you intros. Ready? No, I have to give intros because my topics are ridiculous sometimes. <clears throat> deja vu. But yeah, I'm talking about uh, deja vu this week. Have you ever had deja vu in your life? Um, I think lots of people have those feelings. I yeah. don't know if it's actually real deja vu or just a lot of things are similar. Hmm. Okay. And you know, life sucks. Well, it's not. It's not a paranormal. Uh, not a paranormal thing today, or a creepy thing today. But it's a. I guess a something that incorporates paranormal stuff. Yeah, I'm like, don't some people look at it as a paranormal experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll talk about that a little bit I later. Guess my question: then, Are you really time traveling at that point? That's another question. Oh, I'm on the right breadcrumbs. Um, so deja vu is basically the feeling that you know someone has already lived through the present situation that they are in right now. So say, I don't know. I guess technically <laughs> we're going through a little deja vu every week. I don't know. We always do deja vu, but we'd be in the same spot every week yeah. at the same time. <laughs> this is true. Um, but it's it's more like um, you can see these things in like a dream or. I always feel like it's an uneasy thing. It's a feeling. Like, it's a feeling you get. I'm here, and I've done this already, and I don't like. It. It's, <laughs> a, it's a, yeah, it's that feeling of uh, a familiar familiarity, mm-hmm. and it's just an uneasy feeling of familiarity. <laughs> And it's just like, why am I feeling like this? My goodness. Um, deja vu is actually, it's uh, also a French phrase, uh, which means already seen. Mm. It's literally what it means. Um, so there are two different types of deja vu. Um, and yes, there is a whole list of different types of vu or dejas or, you know, things that it's happen. It's also a Beyonce song. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's a Beyonce song. It's a movie. It's a lot of things. Um Baby, I swear it's deja vu. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so there are two different types of deja vu. There's a pathological. Mm-hmm. Uh, pathological deja vu is normally associated with epilepsy. Mm-hmm. And it also may be an indicator of uh, neurological or psychiatric illnesses. Okay, so if you are 
really feeling like you've already been somewhere before and might be that your brain's messed up. Right. So what happens is, you know, I guess during epilepsy, there's a, in a temporal, it's it's called temporal lobe ep- epilepsy. Mm-hmm. And the way this happens is that there's a epileptic electric electrical uh, discharge in the brain mm-hmm. that makes the that gives you the sensation of you already living through this moment already which is interesting because when one is having a seizure you probably would feel that because mm-hmm. it's a distinctive experience right absolutely um there are other medical reasons as well. Um, I saw that migraines. Oh, really? Yeah, a migraines with I guess it said with auras. Yeah. Um, have you ever experienced that before? No, I have not. Oh, it's like there's a halo around the world. Really? Um, so a couple summers ago, I was still taking medication for diabetes, mm-hmm. but I had lost a bunch of weight, and so my blood sugar was tanking. Um, and while I was walking around, just doing my Bailey stuff, mm-hmm. I was experiencing the world very bright. Hmm. Like the light was too bright. Like I would come in here and try and like hide in their covers. Um, and everything was like, it was almost like, um, everything was a lens flare. Oh, okay. Which hurts huh. your brain and your head. Um, for me, it was because I no longer needed to be on that medication. So mm. I was able to handle my medical issue with just eating, not mm. the meds anymore. But they didn't realize that. And so I went to the hospital because I was, like, scared. <laughs> mm, yeah. Also, sometimes it happens, though, with migraines, too, that, like, you're, you see stuff, definitely not there. Oh, like hallucinations. It's not even a hallucination. Like... I don't know how to explain it other than like flashing lights or zigzags in your vision. Okay. So it's like those little squiggly things you see in the Kind of like when you stare at the sun when you're a kid and then you turn your head. Mm. Only you didn't do that and now you're an adult. (laughs) 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 And it hurts. And like you close your eyes as a way to like try and deal with the fact that like weird stuff is in your vision while you're trying to exist. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, if that have now that can happen with deja vu, mm-hmm. yeah. that sounds awful. Yeah, I know, right? I was like, migraines, really? My goodness. Because I have migraines, and I've had the, the the spots and the weird squiggles. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I have not felt weird; just felt cr- like crap. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so the other kind of deja vu is called non pathological, and this is basically like the the type of deja vu two-thirds of the people Talk experience about. yeah mm-hmm. you know um a lot of reasons for this one stress being a big one um i, I also read that like anxiety might be like a, a trigger for like deja vu totally too. makes sense yeah um they uh was it anxiety and uh it's very much groundhog's day isn't it yeah yeah <laughs> I'll talk about that later too. Okay. <laughs> there's something else I got to talk about. Actually, there's a video game right now that's very much like that. It's called 12 Minutes. You should play it. I've seen. I haven't seen it. I know uh, Mr. Matthew Matthew Patrick has played it. 
It goes real weird. You should play it. I guess I'll play that on Twitch. <laughs> Gotta do it on Twitch. <laughs> if you get like real lost, I can help you. Okay. But it gets real weird by the end. Oh, great. I love it. It's all of that already. Also, Willem Dafoe is in it. Oh, okay. And uh, what's his name? McAvoy. Really? Okay. I'm like, for a indie game, this guy got some... Yeah, you got connections. Major players to do the voice acting. But anyway, let's talk about nice, nice. 12 minutes being literal. That guy's stuck in a time loop. So he is experiencing the deja vu every time the loop starts. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Are okay. there people who really feel like that's happened to them? Yeah, we'll talk about that later, too. Okay. <laughs> You're asking all the right questions. I'm sorry. I'm very interested. Oh, goodness. You got me this week. So I guess uh, watching a lot of movies and like doing a lot of traveling too, that also helps. It causes deja vu. Like more people who do these things, like watch a lot of movies or you do a lot of traveling, they experience deja vu a lot more than uh, you know normal people do. Okay. Or like just you know people who don't do these things. <clears throat> Did you know that the older you get, the less you experience deja vu? And How old? I'm not sure. It just says the older that you get. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, I have a kind of like a theory for this. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like has like, I, I kind of like dip my toes into the paranormal a little bit. Okay. On this. So, imagine, like, if, if this is true that you, like, I mean, I don't remember the last time I got deja vu. I think the, the biggest okay, last time I had deja vu was like in high school, but that's about it. Um, but just imagine the reason why you have deja vu more as a, as a younger person is because you're seeing glimpses of your future. Well, I was thinking in the past, how little kids are always talking about their past lives. Yeah. That too. And then if you're seeing glimpses of your future, the older you get, you see less and less glimpses of your future because you're already living in those moments and you're not going to die and and you're getting closer to, you know, the end and you don't know what's going to happen after that. I mean, that's just a little, don't. (laughs) Now I'm just thinking about death. That's why I'm like, "Mm." Mm, then you're like, "Mm, I don't know. Yeah. That's that's where that face is coming from. I'm just, you talk about death a lot more than I do. I do, but I don't enjoy it. It's just the uh, inevitability of us all. True. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my little... Okay, so while I'm on the topic of paranormal and stuff, <clears throat> a lot of people believe that deja vu has something to do with, um, I guess, pre- pre- precognitive... Uh, I cannot... Oh, precognition? There you go. <laughs> precognitive dreams. Um, basically, your dreams. Ba- I mean... Like that I, makes sense. Yeah, like I said before, like um, in another episode, like I, I do have these dreams where you're like given like a little premonition or like you're you're something, you know, in your dream that it's a premonition that it's going to happen sometime soon. You just don't know when, or it's like giving you a warning of something that may happen. I don't want them dreams. <laughs> you don't want them. I don't like them. I don't want to know what's going on. Like. Like, you see someone in your dreams. Like, this is what I had in high school. Um, I saw someone in my dreams that I had never seen before in my life. And there was this girl, and we were just having a conversation. And then the next day, or like a couple weeks later, 
I see this girl who I've never seen, and we just have this conversation on the stairwell where I had my dream at. And I was like, Ooh. yeah, freaking freaking. Now, wait, were you the person who told me that you had a dream about somebody cheating on you and it happened? Yeah. Okay. Well, it wasn't cheating on you. It was like, it was my friends with benefits. <laughs> it still counts. There was dishonesty. It was my friends with benefits. They, they slept with my other friend. And then, yeah. Okay, yeah, we did talk about that earlier in the podcast. When did that come up? I know it happened some point. We talked about this this year. Yeah, what? Are, I forget what topic I was what talking, talking about, about. But I got to look through my notes again. But yeah, it happened to me. And that was the thing. I think I was talking about either um, the shadow people or something like that. It was, a, it was way before shadow people. Was it? Okay. It was a while back. Huh. But yeah, yeah, that happened to me. It was really weird. Bummer. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, like, I know you're not supposed to, like, in your dreams, you're not, you don't really see people that you don't, like, you've never seen. Because when you have dreams, you normally dream about people who you know in your life. But yeah. sometimes these dreams, they bring a new character in and they. It's a new character. Yeah, it's a new challenger for your life. Fight. <laughs> um. Also, just think about this. Uh, does, believing, does believing in paranormal increase your chances of having deja vu? Because I've heard a lot about, I've, I've heard about that too. Like just believing in paranormal, paranormal things, spiritual things, and like stuff like that. Does, that. does that increase your chances of having deja vu? Or do you have more deja vu because you believe in this kind of stuff? I can't think of a time that I've ever actually really experienced it, which is weird for me. Mm -hmm. I believe in a lot of paranormal stuff. <laughs> See, and that's like that's like a, you know a, an opposite thing. Like you, I believe in a lot of paranormal paranormal stuff, but I don't have a lot of deja vu anymore. Like even when I did, it wasn't like I had deja vu every freaking day or you know once a month or something like that. It was like once in a blue moon you'd have some deja vu type of event happen oh well yeah just think about that um so memories they're fun right easily manipulated <laughs> they are very like the mandela effect we're not talking about that today but or eyewitness testimony yes that too like i forget names at the best of times like drop of a hat <laughs> don't tell me your name if it's not saved in my phone i do not know who you are my goodness i had an ex who mocked me relentlessly because i legitimately forgot his last name in the beginning of our relationship he thought it was so funny and he'd be like do you know who i am and i'm like <laughs> nah fam and then he left his wallet at my house and i was like look <laughs> That's why we have Facebook now. Facebook, uh, Twitter, whatever. Instagram, look up somebody. Oh, yeah, this is a long time ago. Listen, people were still talking to each other on Craigslist. Long time ago. Oh, look, this is, this was, I mean, <laughs> this is what I do. Because sometimes I forget birthdays, too. A lot. A lot, a lot. Um, And, you know, now that Facebook is a thing, I just go on her Facebook and I'm like, when the fuck were you born? When were you born? <laughs> Please tell me your day, birthday. And then I had to save it in my phone because I still remember. Oh, I was going to say, you don't just wait forget. for their birthday to pop up on the timeline and just be like, 
Happy birthday. No, I want them to think. I didn't look at Facebook, so I texted them. <laughs> I texted them and like, happy birthday. Because I didn't see that pop up on Facebook at all. Yeah, it popped up on your phone. Yeah. 15 minutes before midnight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. But there is something called oh, crypto uh, cryptonesia. Oh. And that's where information that's learned is forgotten. Oh, cool. But it's still somehow stored in the brain. So, and then when like a similar occurrence happens that that you forgot. Okay. If a similar occurrence happens, then all that information comes back, but it feels like it's like a deja vu type of thing. Okay. So, like, I'm trying to think of something that would be like this. Um, I don't know. Like, crossing the street with a dog, with, with like a dog on the other side of the street, and you're like, oh, that's a cute dog. And then you forget all about that dog. But your brain stores it in, and the next day you see, like, another dog crossing the street. And you're like, wait a second, didn't this happen, like, yesterday? And I saw the same dog, but it's, like, something like that. It gives you, like, an air of familiarity. I cannot Mm -hmm. say that. But, yeah. So, you asked me if people deal with this, um, like, 24-7. Or if people have like uh, you know chronic deja vu, like the was it what game is that twelve? Well, that guy's in a time loop, but yeah. Um, how do I say this? Uh, what's the game called? Twelve years or something like, like that? 12 oh, days? twelve minutes. Twelve minutes. There you go. Okay. <clears throat> it just occurred to me, like, oh, is there somebody out there living? So deja vu on a consistent basis. There is a man. I'm not sure if he's still. A, I'm pretty sure he is. Um, but there's a man who has dealt with constant deja vu. Um, and it was, well, this was reported in like 2000, well, this year. So it was like eight years. He, deal, he dealt with this for eight years. What um, was wrong? Not sure. Um, so basically, he dealt with deja vu every day. Like he was trapped in a time loop every day for eight oh, years. So he's like the video game. Yeah. So as soon as you brought like a time loop and then you Groundhog Day, that's what they refer to it as. Like he was living like Groundhog Day because everything was like a new experience, or he kept reliving this, these things that already happened. But the days are different because time is passing. Yes, exactly. So this got so bad that he stopped watching TV and listening to radio, like reading papers and stuff like that. But um, I'm trying to see. You see, like Donald Trump, and be like, he looks. <laughs> yeah. Um, see your wife. Did I know you? <laughs> he was. He he was. Uh. Well, when it started happening, I think he was in his his early twenties, like twenty three, twenty four. Oh, he even gets to have a wife. Oh no, it's thirties first date. <laughs> oh my god. Fifty first dates. He's yes. Drew Barrymore. Yes. I have the name of that movie all messed up. He was twenty three at the time. Oh, poor guy. Yes. So, let me try to read this to you. Um. Uh, 
So apparently they, they said that the reason why he had so much deja vu was because he had anxiety. So they, they ran tests on him and they were like, well, we don't find we, we, we couldn't find like a correlation between anxiety and then the occurrence of deja vu like this. And I'm like, if this happened, if deja vu happened because of anxiety, I'm pretty sure a lot of people would be, you know, having deja vu every fucking day because of how anxious a lot of people are. This in itself makes me feel anxious. <laughs> it's not even happening to me and I'm feeling for this dude. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, it happened. Okay, so it started in 2008. Okay. No, 2007. Yeah, and then it's, you know, lasts for eight years, which is just crazy Groundhog Day time loop type of thing. I just, I can't do it. I don't know. I don't know. Because when I had deja vu, mm-hmm. when I, when, you know, when I was younger, and I was like, oh, this has something to do with paranormal stuff. And I'm just like, I want deja vu all the time. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and now I'm like, I could not do that. Yeah, no, I feel bad for the dude. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so, like I said before, there are different terms, like, diff- there's there are different words underneath the umbrella term of deja vu, and I'm gonna, I guess, go over those for a little bit. So, there's one, it's called, uh, well, the first one, and it's jamais vu. Oh. Very French. Um. It sounds familiar, jamais vu? Yeah. And what does it mean, though? It means uh, never seen. Oh, okay. So, so when they have a familiar situation that happens, it's not recognized at all. So they don't even. That's like people with amnesia, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah sort of. It's like you, you know, it happened before. Like you're training somebody at work, and then they're just you know they just can't pick up on it. Something <laughs> like. Oh, we just did this yesterday, and it was like, oh, John May Vu, I can't <laughs> remember anything. You're so it's silly. Not, it's not familiar to me at all. <clears throat> so I don't it's, think that works that way. No, okay. no. It's the, it's basically like the opposite of deja vu. Hmm. There's another one. It's called deja vécu. Um, and this one is also, you know, they're all French. So this one means already lived. And Ooh. it's almost like deja vu, but it's a false feeling of having already lived through it. So it's like a, I guess you could say false memory of it. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, let's say false memory of you know, you're just living through something. There's one I can kind of pronounce. It's a presque vu. Mm-hmm. And that means uh, almost seen. And it is the intense feeling of being on the brink of a powerful epiphany or like an insight or, or revelation mm-hmm. without actually uh, achieving the revelation. So like, the, like that's that's the tip of the tongue sensation, like something on the tip of your tongue. And then you just cannot remember it or you just can't you can't come to like the conclusion of it. And it's like it's nerve wracking. Because it happens to me a lot, and <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's on the tip of my tongue. I cannot remember the name of this thing, but I know it, but I can't remember it. But yeah, 
that's that's the one that I hate the most. Um, there's one called Deja Reve. Mm-hmm. Uh, this means almost dreamed. Already dreamed. Oh, my bad. Already dreamed. So this is like a feeling that you already dreamed of something happening. So like like I said earlier, my dream in high school when I was talking to the, you know, in the hallway and stuff like right. that. Okay, so that's what that actually was? Yeah. Not of the other dream I had. We we're not talking about that. Um, I only know about it because you told me about it I on know. this podcast. Well, it 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 had something to do with the topic, so I, I had to tell you about it. it. Save my life. Listen, <laughs> I told you I have the memory of a squirrel. My brain is murder, murder, murder. Video games, murder. That's what my brain is. Oh goodness. Um, I'm the dog from Up. Yes, squirrel. Mm-hmm. There's one more. It's called Deja Intendu. Yeah, I heard about. I only know about that because it's the name of a song. Oh, never when we were in high school. It's uh, it means already heard, and it's the experience of feeling sure about having heard something, or having already heard something, even though the exact details are uncertain or were perhaps imagined. Actually, it's an album, and now that definition makes that kind of funny. Do you remember the band Brand New? No. They had a song called "Sick Transit Gloria." The fever, the focus, the reason that I had to believe you weren't too hard to sell. The Isla Emo kit. Okay. Oh, so was I, but I don't remember that. Anyway. I, I loved that song. But I think that's such a funny thing to name your album, which is, you already heard this before. Yeah. <laughs> like, you thought you already uh, heard it. You thought you... Me. The irony was lost on 14-year-old me. I was me. about to say, you thought Actually, you already heard this, but no. So how old was I? Like 15, maybe, around there? 14, yeah. 15 years old? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. That just, you just get, that just gave me a whole <laughs> new, uh, like, now I gotta go listen to that album. <laughs> I'm gonna have to pull it up on Spotify or something. There are certain drugs that in, uh, um, increase your chances of having deja vu as well. I've heard about that. Yeah. Or at least it makes you think you have yeah, yeah, yeah. experienced it. I guess a combination of drugs would have to be taken. Um, excuse me. That was terrible. Like, um, I guess flu-type medicine. Yeah, that kind I'm of stuff. I'm looking at the name of the drug. <laughs> wow. It's a lot of, lot of words. That's a lot of lot letters. Of and, lot of letters. I, and I cannot. At least 25 letters in this medicine. <laughs> That's like the, almost a whole alphabet. No, thank you. But it's multiple drugs have to be taken together. So it has to be like the perfect storm. Yeah, the perfect combination of drugs can cause like this type of deja vu sensation. Essentially, it causes your brain to do the same thing that the naturally your brain's doing. Mm-hmm. The electromag stimulation. Yeah, Absolutely. It's in the media temporal areas. That's what you yeah. said earlier. Yeah, the uh, yeah, your frontal lobe areas or your lobo, your lobes, whatever you want to call it. I took psychology. I know things. <laughs> <laughs> That's psych one hundred one. Oh my god! But yeah, like this topic just seemed interesting to me, and I just it it came up on the spot when I was like when I was thinking of uh, what to cover this week. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what if I did something with deja vu? Because I like talking about the mind and stuff. Nothing creepy this week. I'm sorry. I mean, it is creepy, though. It is creepy just to think about, like, something, like, especially being stuck in, like, a time loop. Imagine 
if that's what deja vu is like you go through like a you slip through i guess a dimensional time portal and you're just reliving the situation that you thought you didn't do or you thought you did but you didn't do it you know what i mean sort of i would imagine if you're like that guy who feels like he's having deja vu all the time mm-hmm. you just don't even know what's real mm. life isn't real for you anymore that's true that's got to be scary in fact um oh gosh i remember years ago i believe it's called mind something mind um it's a youtube like premium show uh and they did an episode on the brain and like permanence Hmm. and through traumatic brain injuries people sometimes lose that permanence of self right right yeah um it's it's that's so scary like well, how just, would you you know what i mean yeah it's just a part of you is just dead yeah you what you thought was you and that just lets you know how tenuous that connection is because if i don't know i'm me then, who else knows i'm me yeah who knows the real me then listen you want to know something that messed me up when i heard it <laughs> what? every single person you meet has a different understanding of who you are than anyone else in the world. This is true. What you think you are is not at all what anybody else sees. No, no, I, I actually believe that. That is super <laughs> like that kind of messed me up the first time I heard it. Cause I was just like, we work on this carefully crafted image of ourselves and what we present to the world. And you have no clue mm-hmm. if people are getting what you are trying to portray. Exactly so freaky it's really freaky because like it like if you talk to my co-workers mm-hmm. about me and you're like how like what do you think brian is like blah, blah blah and there's like oh well, he's a quiet guy you know he comes mm-hmm. and does his job blah, 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 and, he, and that's basically it like they, all they know about me is that i'm quiet and i am a, you know i do my job well <clears throat> so the phrase is a different version of you exists in the minds of everyone who knows you yeah that's what i was trying to say and then you talk to my parents, and I'm just like, <laughs> you get there, there, whatever they think of me. Yeah, but the the you that exists for yourself only exists for you in your head. Yeah. And even you don't really know who that is. Every person you meet, every person you have a relationship with, every person you even make eye contact with creates a version of you in their head. And you are not the same person for your mom, your dad, your children, your siblings, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. There are literally a thousand different versions of what people think you are. And now that I'm saying this out loud, mm-hmm. there are over 800,000 different <laughs> versions of Britney <laughs> out in the world. And that's a lot. It's a little overwhelming. Oh, my God. She's talking about TikTok. <laughs> Every once in a while, it kind of hits me how big <clears throat> it is, and it's it's definitely like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, all those people, even that little tiny snapshot of you walking by somebody in a store, mm-hmm. they have created an entire story. Yeah, that's freaky. And then what's worse about that? Like I said, you spend your whole life working on this, mm-hmm. 
Then you have, you get in a car accident and now you have no idea who you are. You get in a car accident and you don't know who that you is to tell people who you are. This is, I'm, I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> And then you have to go ask these different people and they give you all different stories of who you are. Well, I have covered over on TikTok the Solved Unsolved Mysteries. Uh-huh. And there was one man who had a, he'd already gotten a concussion and then he got attacked while he was out. And he said he forgot everything. He tried to get back with his family and reconnect with his wife and everything. But he was a completely different person from this point. Right. I mean. So their relationship, they were made friends, but they divorced. God. He didn't really know who she was. They had had this whirlwind romance and moved and started a business together. And all this stuff is just gone. And now it was gone. all gone. God. God. That's terrible. That is horrible. Then sometimes like, not- I think about the fact that, like, the amount of time that we are on this earth is so inconsequential in the entire existence of the earth. But it feels so big to us. Yeah. It yeah. feels so big to us and the people we know. My goodness. Everybody thinks they're the star of their own show. You don't think you're the star of your own show? Oh, yeah, of course. I'm the main character. Yeah, you're the main character <laughs> of, of the course. Brian show. Of course I am. Maybe except your daughter. She's she's elbowing L- in on your spotlight, sir. Look. <laughs> she's getting more, I don't know what now that she's going, you know, she's going to school now. She's sassy. Yes. Oh, I got students like her in my mm, class right now. I'm sure of it. My goodness. She is a handful. He's like, I was on the phone with my mom today. Sorry. Side story, guys. Sorry. You're getting a little story. Um, My mom calls me. You know, she wanted to come down and visit her today. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I don't really feel like doing nothing today. I don't feel like driving nowhere. And because she's in York, she has a you know, house in York now. Oh, and okay. Cassandra comes in the room and she she's talking and stuff. And my mom's telling her, yeah. Your daddy's not coming down to New York. He's being mean. And then Cassandra's like, how dare you? How dare you talk to Nana like that? And she's just like, she, oh, my God. Her little person. She's like, listen, daddy just needs a break. I'm going to take a nap. Like, I just. like Ask somebody else. <laughs> I get how important it is to see your parents and stuff. But, like, on the weekends, I just want to relax and do Feel nothing. Feel you, fam. <laughs> because. But like, you know what? I can't even really see my people right now. Yeah. With this Delta going around, oh, I'm at risk again. Yep, all those variants. But, yeah. All right, enough down. Enough. Anyway, just in <laughs> case you forget who you are and you need to remember who you are because now you're missing on the other side of the country, you can sign up. Oh, yes. <laughs> or helpyoufind.me. That's helpyoufind.me slash WKGC20. You get 20% off. Yes, plug in. yes, nice plug. Love it. Shameless awesome. as hell. No, it really is a cool thing. <laughs> you would have a file of all your information and you would give it to your loved ones. They would give it to the police if you go missing. And hopefully we find you a lot faster than having to wait three weeks for a subpoena to go through. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. In situations like those, it is really important, especially if a person doesn't remember who they are. Oh, true. Very true. But anyway, if you listened for two hours and several minutes, <laughs> thanks. We love you so much. Yes, we appreciate you so much. And good night. Yep, good night. <laughs>